Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another edition of The Deciding Point for all of you listeners, our weekly breakdown of everything that happens in the Division I college tennis world. Of course, here on Tuesday nights, we break down the D1 women's world, and it was a busy week in the Division I college tennis world. We had conference play underway for the ACC. We had plenty of spring break trips that afforded us a lot of really fun non-conference matches and just more broadly, a lot of things for us to discuss after a fun week of results. Of course, joining me on tonight's podcast to do precisely that as he does each and every week is a man who all of you listeners know best as the return champion of returning champions here on our Cracked Rackets podcast, founder of the No Ad No Problem blog and podcast, of course, my co-host for all of these Tuesday night editions of The Deciding Point, and my dear friend, John J. Parsons, joining me to help break down week number seven in the 2024 Division I women's college tennis season. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. I'm trying to be efficient here with the intro because it is clearly end of February, start of March. We are in the meat of the college tennis season. And so in that context, I ask you, my friend, how are you doing? I'm good. This felt like the first real weekend of college tennis. And you can gauge that by how many tabs of live scoring you have <laughs> open at any given point, particularly for me, I try and get out to matches in person. So I'm at a match in person, following along on the phone of action across the country and those 11 a.m., 12, 12 p.m. starts on the East Coast, a little early for me out here on the West Coast. But yeah, it felt like uh, everything was was humming this weekend. I get to go too wide. I always try to have two matches open, one on one half of the screen, one on the other. Also, just countless tabs open following scores just in case I need to change a play site or find a track tennis feed, whatever it may be. Yeah, we are in the meat of the college tennis season. It's a great place to be. It's why, obviously, we here at Cracked Rackets are so excited to really get our coverage going. I mean, it starts at kickoff weekend, but starting this weekend, we're going to have a lot of conference play available for all of you college tennis fans. Friday, Sunday, ESPN Plus, we will have the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 cross-court casts available for you all. Again, myself, Perry Shinen, Chris Halioris, so many different others as well contributing to those broadcasts throughout the course of the season. Every Friday, I'm going to be on the ACC cast, going to be on there every Sunday as well. 
who's steering the ship of what, just look for announcements. Again, there are plenty on the horizon, but ACC, SEC, Big 12 cross-court casts available on ESPN Plus every weekend moving forward. There are a couple of Big 12 Thursdays thrown in there as well. Also, every Sunday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, we'll have Big 10 coverage for all of you college tennis fans. So we are four conference-wide, plenty of fun solo matches in between, including tomorrow or Wednesday, February 28th, depending on when you're listening. Listening to this, where we have number 14 Baylor hosting number one Ohio State on the men's side. That match, 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN Plus. A lot of fun things on the horizon, Jay. It is truly that time in the college tennis year. And again, our team is really thrilled to be able to shine a spotlight on this level of play, particularly on a platform like ESPN Plus. As Jay once advised, you don't have to have the volume on. Keep us on mute, but open up all of the broadcasts. Let's run up those numbers. Let's get ESPN wanting to invest in our sport moving forward. Uh, Again, coverage starts extensively Friday, SEC, ACC, Big 12 this weekend. Also Wednesday, number 14 Baylor hosting number one Ohio State. That's 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN+. Plus. All right, Jay. I know that's a lot of plugging, but we got a lot of cool things on the horizon here at Cracked Rackets. Eventually, you and I will be on YouTube as well, but we're running west off at max capacity. So for now, we stick in the podcast format. Let's break down week seven of this 2024 Division I women's college tennis season. Let's start at a match you attended with the Stanford Cardinal hosting Texas. Now, we talked last week when offering out report cards about how this Texas team, despite losing both Nicoles to the transfer portal, losing some significant pieces over the last few seasons, they've stayed the course. This is a really strong group uh, that the Texas Longhorns have here in 2024, just solid everywhere. And so for Stanford to not only win this match 4-3, but to do it in the fashion that they did, John J. Parsons, you were there. Walk us through how the Cardinal do it. Talk us through what you learned from this one. Well, it was another match where the Stanford drops the doubles point. So they dropped that doubles point to Texas. That's been something we've talked about for a long time here is Stanford's Achilles heel in doubles. And after that, you felt like Stanford had positions to win in singles. Uh, Angelica Blake played, I thought, the best tennis of her the season so far that was started a little bit slow, but she was uh, took out Sabina Zainalova there at number one. Number two, Connie Ma is still continuing to play her best tennis. She was down five two in that first set. She comes back, wins that set seven five, and then ultimately runs away with it. Uh, Yepa Finova had a tough weekend in both her matches against Texas and UCSB. She I forget the exact scoreline, but she didn't win many games against uh, Malika Rapalu. One and two. Yeah, thank you. Three games there. Had much more to do, I thought, with Yepa Finova. Rapalu, good, great, you know, if not great, but definitely not Yepa Finova. And then there was a lot of drama on the backcourts here, four through six. Before you get there, let me just inject as well, because there was some drama on Blake, but I I do agree it was a separate portion of the match. I do just want to say on the Connie Ma front, there was a portion of this match tweeted out by Stanford where they tweeted the Valencia shoe set point over Vivian Uvrutsky to capture the second set. They then tweeted, I think it was the Connie Ma match point where she rips a ridiculous backhand cross to set up what is eventually a winning pattern. And the level of tennis, the difference between what was being played was striking. And it just speaks to Connie Ma is balling. 
once again. And Blake might have played well at the one spot. You saw it more than I did, so I'll let you assess the, you know, where each of these players should be lining up for the Cardinal long term. But Connie's playing her best tennis. And if she is at the number two spot, you feel like that is a lock that the Cardinal can rely on each and every match that they play, regardless of level. On the Epifanova front, it's a great win for Rapalu, a signature win, dare I say, the one she's been searching for. But yeah, it was Yepafanova's first bad weekend of the spring season. She can have one, and ultimately it didn't impact her team, which speaks to what they have elsewhere. In the bottom of the lineup, John J. Parsons, the floor is once again yours. Yeah, I think that's a good assessment. I mean, Connie is definitely playing great tennis. Uh, the I've never seen Angelica Blake work do crowd work like she did in this <laughs> match against Texas, and you saw that in the celebration that they shared out as well. So she's definitely, we talked about the spark plug that this Stanford team is needed. It feels like she's taking that on uh, in in tandem with blocking sure. it down at four through six, which is good to see. You want that to see that from that, the Stanford team. Uh, I'll talk about five and six. So Catherine Huey won pretty straightforwardly against Pachkaleva. The Valencia shoe Ovrutsky match was long points, and uh, I was actually impressed by Ovrutsky. I think I didn't know if she would be able to hold down the sixth position that well, but she's playing better, I think, than she was her freshman year coming back from injury. She's a gamer, and she's going to kind of do whatever she can down there at six. And then this match ultimately came down to Blokina and Shavathapan. Blokina definitely took the scenic route. She was close to winning this in straight sets. But uh, unfortunately, this was kind of the second straight match that this had come down to Charlotte Shavathapan. Came down to her when they played Oklahoma State at indoors. Uh, She lost a lead there. Thankfully for her, she didn't lose a lead here. Uh, It was really good tennis down the home stretch. Blokina ultimately got the clinch. Yeah, and there was some energy from her after that match point. Again, always brings the main character energy. Shavatapan keeps just finding herself in the drama this season for Texas. And again, I still think you feel pretty solid if it comes down to her court for her to take that second set 7-6, fight the way she did. Felt like she was constantly down from a scoreboard perspective whenever I would check in on that third set against Blokina. But that's so it's, it's way, you know, she needed that one at five. We kind of glossed over it, but... To get that victory over a senior in Pachkaleva in particular as well, it's a massive way for her to get some confidence going as Stanford moves into the rest of this season. You know, the big thing for Stanford, they also kind of needed this win just from a rankings perspective. Yes, USC, Arizona State, UCLA, even like Arizona, Utah, Oregon have all played pretty solid to start the season. Should have mentioned Washington in there. But this is a top five win. And just again... For Stanford to find four singles victories to earn, what, two, three-set victories on their way to this win as well at home, it was one they had to have, and they get it. I still think you feel pretty good about Texas, though, coming off of this match, Jay, and you got to see it in person. How You know, again, we talk about this group being good everywhere, maybe not great anywhere. Is that still your assessment after seeing them in person? Yeah, definitely. I think they'll be able to compete at every single position. I don't know exactly where you circle locks in that Texas singles lineup, but they're going to beat a lot of good teams. And for Stanford to get this win, they're leap years ahead of where they've been at this point in the season over the past few years. So they're feeling really good. 
Yeah, and they also get a 6-1 win over UCSB. They take a much-needed doubles point, wins at the 1, 2, and 3 spots. Love that they play everything out. They also win everything but Yepa Finova, who does get a set in that second match. But Elena, you showing the 2022 San Diego Girls 18's champion 3-1 win at the number 5 spot. So good weekend for Stanford as, again, they continue to try to consolidate their top 5 spot moving forward. Let's yeah, they're move up to number 2. Yeah, and the rankings. they leap Michigan, right, this week. Yep. I don't think it's unjustified. Like, outdoors, you probably would lean Stanford if you're making a prediction. Michigan's three. I, again, the real delineation is eight and nine. Like, if you're in the top eight, all you can ask for is to host the first three matches. Then everyone's going to Stillwater out anyway because they ain't dropping out of the top eight no matter what happens. So being in the top eight, that's really the fight. Stanford consolidating their position very well with their weekend this past weekend. Let's move to a team that's got a fight right now for their top eight spot. Crazy to say we're done making preseason predictions and burdening out anyone with our number one spot. But UNC gets a must-have weekend. And God, did they need that 4-3 win over Miami. Clinch 7-6 in the third by Carson Tangillig. They get a 5-2 win over Florida State as well. That match of particular intrigue, not just because they won it 5-2. You saw Tatum Evans, the freshman, who we thought was redshirting this semester. She's a blue-chip recruit. We thought they were going to get her next year. This is someone who I believe was a 16s, if not San Diego champion in that Easter Bowl hunt. Just top 10 recruit. She's going to be an exceptional Tar Heel, one of many they've brought in over the past decade and a half. She's playing right now. And part of that is because Reese Brantmeyer's out with a knee injury. You wonder how long that lasts. Part of it is we still haven't seen Scotty play any sort of role in singles. How injury-related is that? Abby Forbes is available, but certainly not the— I don't think they're turning, expecting her to be in the lineup in singles come the NCAA tournament. They're giving Tatum Evans a little bit of run here. They play her at the five spot in the Florida State match. Now, she ultimately falls in that match. Uh, I believe in what was it? Uh, three sets, but uh, it does get a set on the board in her first match. Again, thrown to the Wolves and somewhat responds. If you're UNC looking at their wins this weekend, Tran gets two wins. Rapman gets two wins and that they're at the four and six spot. Speaks to this team still is very strong down below despite the injuries up top. But, you know, again, Crawley goes one and one. Tangilla goes one and one. Yarlagata goes one and one. Crawley's loss was to Alexa Noel. No shame in that game at Miami, which is always a really tough place to play this time of year. But John J. Parsons, your reaction to the Tar Heels weekend? The question I was expecting you to ask was, is it time to press the panic button if you're North Carolina? <laughs> no, because it's February 27th and there's still North Carolina. And if Brantmeyer comes back, it's a new question. But sorry, carry I, on. Well, I'm glad you answered that. I would say the fact that Tatum Evans played a match and is, by all accounts, unredshirting herself leads you to believe there is zero chance Reese Brantmeyer is coming back. She was still in a heavy brace and crutches down in Miami. Like It doesn't seem like it's good. I absolutely think it's panic button time. Okay. Had they lost to Miami, would have been their first loss to Miami since 2013. Isabella Fenning had a match point at 6-5 in that tie break. She double faults. Shout out to Carson Tangillig, who you felt like was going to get that done. She's been in those positions. She clinched NCAAs. This team did not 
take the time post indoors to show up looking like the UNC we expected them to do. It's just complete whiplash from a few weeks before indoors when I was confirming who the last women's team to go undefeated was. Shout out Stanford 2006, because I truly felt like North Carolina was head and shoulders above the rest of these teams. Now, yes, maybe we see Scotty back in the lineup, but I think it's serious questions for them moving forward. They looked sapped of energy on the sidelines in that Miami match up until like the last 10 minutes of Carson's clincher. I think this is like major reflection time for this North Carolina team. The Florida trip is always tough. It always is. And that these matches were competitive is not particularly surprising. Let's also be clear. Miami and North Car- uh, and Florida State go on to beat Duke this weekend, something we will talk about a little bit later in the show. They're not invincible. That much is abundantly clear. And in that sense, if you want to hit the panic button because you thought they might be before the season, I suppose you do have to downgrade your expectations. The field has caught up to these UNC Tar Heels who do have to look for answers and really need Thea Rabman now to be as good as her pedigree coming in might ask her to be at the number six spot. Like they need her to contribute right away. We talked preseason, how many matches might she play? All the matches. Like she is the option at six right now. Riley Tran showed up two straight set wins this weekend. And I actually feel really good about her being asked to step into a bigger role because God knows she must have been waiting for it for these past three years. Well, she sorry. She was at three uh, two years ago. So she's been in these positions. But it was always like a tentative three. Like that was her Mora. There was some pulling always Scotty. And if I'm remembering this correctly. Yeah, the whole, the whole lineup was, you know. Well, there's always got to be some chicanery. Otherwise, where's the fun? Here's the point. Like, there are questions. Yarla Gata at three, where she's got to play that player consistently outdoors. Like, we just haven't seen her do that before. Carson gets on the winning end against Fenning, but she's been up and down to start this year. And, but you know, she lost against Florida State. Yeah, exactly. And look, Crawley was 0 and 0 Vic Allen. That's a ridiculous win. Has it had the results that she had to start last season, certainly. And so, again, the, they, they go 2-0 and in doubles. Like, they still have a lot of doubles pieces. I think they're going to figure that out maybe qu- more quickly than anything else. And that's, I guess, long-term a good thing moving forward. But you're right. Like, no Scotty. If they're looking at Evans, it means they feel like they have some questions about their singles lineup. And I guess that's it's not panic button, but it's definitely you have questions about this UNC team now. Serious questions, Jay. Um, And if that's panic inducing, I apologize. I think I mean, I think it's panic inducing just where we've gone over the month of February. Right. And they have like some serious stuff to figure out. Yeah. Uh, No, go ahead. Well, I, I mean, you point to like Rabman, but I like they have an Abby Forbes problem is the bigger thing. That's a bigger thing than than Rabman. I mean, she has two and a half months to turn into UCLA Abby Forbes. And they I don't need think her. they need UCLA Abby Forbes. They need at least 2023 Abby Forbes, like maybe a hybrid if they can get that between 22 and 23. 2023 Abby Forbes didn't play in this lineup towards the end of the year. Yeah, but she uh, she was more competitive in the middle half of their lineup to start last year than she has been in the bottom half to start this year. I don't know. Um, It's a wash for me. 
I don't. If I, here's what I'll say: If your problem is you have an Abby Forbes problem, can I just say I'd still bet on that Abby Forbes problem to find a solution by the end of the season? Like that's why I'm not hitting the panic button because Abby Forbes has earned the benefit of the doubt. This whole team has. They're the reigning NCAA champions. Pathway's a lot tougher than you expected at the start of the month, but. Again, you got a full ACC season to try and figure things out and to stick in the conference on the Florida State-Miami side. Yes, neither was able to pull off the upset against UNC, but Florida State 6-1, 6-1, Jay. They knock off Duke. Miami with a 5-2 victory. You look on the Florida State side of things, probably the most concerning is that you lose doubles and five straight set matches. Like, five straight set matches for Duke. That is, that is a massive concern. For this Blue Devils team, even if the doubles point both 7-6 losses at the 1-2 and two spot. You know, the Miami match is really competitive. There are three three-setters, but, you know, they still lose doubles and three first sets in that—three uh, three straight set matches in that one as well. We can talk last half full. We can talk last half empty, Jay. ACC is always competitive, but your thoughts on this weekend for Duke? I mean, this is already— a Duke team that's not up to their normal Duke standards. And when they have to play without Ellie Coleman, who they had, I think, at the three spot coming into these matches, I think they had Coleman three, Cod four. Everyone moves up a spot. And now you've got Bryce Golova and Schwetz, who were certainly not a lock at five and six, moving them up to four and five, Barankova at six. It's going to be really tough. And particularly... In a Florida swing that, as you say, is very tough. This is a Florida swing that Duke struggled with two years ago, uh, back when they ended up making the NCAA semifinals. So it's not unexpected to see Duke uh, struggle here, uh, certainly being shorthanded. Yeah, this is a team that in every season from 1997 until last year made at least the round of 16. Like a standard of excellence we have in women's college tennis. Obviously, last year, we thought they were back on that path to another quarterfinal round of 16 at a minimum appearance, and they get shocked in the round uh, round of 32 against UCLA. Now, again, it just feels like they've had a bunch of bad breaks against this team over the past couple of years. Obviously, Freeman, uh, Chloe Beck not being on the roster in a way you hope they might be if you were head coach Jamie Ashworth this year, you know, again... A bunch of different places where I don't, I don't even know where to begin, but I guess that's probably where I did. The point is, yeah, like this team is going to struggle. You could argue their pathway back to the top 16 now. Like they really need to run the table in the rest of their ACC matches, having already lost these two against Miami, Florida State. Now, you know, again, tricky matches against a Georgia Tech, against a Clemson against even a Boston College who had a pretty good weekend this weekend as well. Like all of those now, they're must wins. There's no room for slipping up for this Duke team moving forward. The UNC match is what it is, but maybe you even have to beat a UNC in NC State. You certainly have to if you want to get back in the top 16 mix of Virginia as well. It's a tough start. Uh, for the Duke Blue Devils on the other side, for Miami, who has a brutal kickoff weekend start, for Florida State team that's been looking for a win like this for about a year and a half, got to feel great for both of those squads to kind of reset the deck. And now they feel like, all right, now we get a win over Duke again. Didn't beat UNC, still have the the matches with NC State, Virginia, others on the horizon. 
I'm not going to say there are top 16 paths because that feels a little hyperbolic, but you feel like you're back in the mix. Well, Miami certainly has a path. Yeah. You know, they banked the win over Texas A&M as well, and you assume that's going to appreciate over the course of the season as Texas A&M gets more SEC play under their belt. And they still have, I think at this point, you say winnable matches against an NC State or a UVA. And so there's more ranked wins on the board for Miami that feel gettable. But I think both come out of this weekend bummed they didn't do better against North Carolina and Miami in particular having a dual match point, but also feeling like they can compete with every other team in the ACC. Yeah, really good weekends for uh, Miami's number three and five players, Antonia Balzard, uh, Audrey Bach-Collins. They go 2-0 and on the weekend on the Florida State side of things. Ellie Scope 2-0 at that number two spot. But Vic Allen, again, strong bounce back. She gets that straight set win over Emma Jackson after the tough showing against Crawley. So, yeah, again, ACC always provides us some drama, Jay. They have continued to do so here to start the 2024 season. Let's move away from them, though, for the moment. Let's talk about two teams who, I suppose, like Florida State, like Miami, certainly got back on track over the course of the past weekend. Those, of course, are Pepperdine and Oklahoma. Start with the Waves first. 5-2 win over Florida, 6-1 win over Auburn. It's something we've been alluding to, and we saw it at the National Indoors in person, but you continued to see that in her straight-set victories over DJ Bennett, Sarah Dahlstrom, respectively, this weekend. JT's back for Pepperdine. Janice Chen is playing outstanding ball, and much as we saw last year, who's ever in the three spot of Czar, Brodus, Chen, that player's probably going undefeated, or at the very least losing no more than three matches throughout the course of this season. Brodus, another really good weekend. Straight set wins over Galis, Arsenault, respectively. You know, Zargo's one and one, but it's a 10-6 third set loss to Ansari after the match had already been clinched. Good weekend for Anna Campana. That's probably the biggest takeaway. She gets win over Dudney with a third set breaker, win over Okatoye in straights. Look, Redelic one and one on the weekend. It's what you should ask for. Like I thought she played solid. Conway, one and one on the weekend. Six is going to be a project, but they win doubles points in both matches as well. Again, Pepperdine has to have these wins to stay in the top eight race, plus probably the top 16 race. They got them both. I think they'd be top 16, but yeah, I mean, being top eight, they have to get these wins. And you saw this, they always end up home stretch of the season everyone is playing their conference tournaments getting ranked win after ranked win and they're struggling to get those wins as they're in wcc play can i just say quickly i didn't realize looking at their schedule they still have at ohio state at michigan cal usc stanford ucla cal again in san diego i forgot about that so you're right not top 16 but certainly top eight yeah i mean also, for them to go on the road in Big Ten yeah. country and go back in, I mean, credit to them, credit to Pair for the scheduling. But this team, this is exactly what you wanted to see post-indoors because you continue to see their top three play excellent. You continue to see that doubles improve. You know what you're getting with Chen and Brodus at number one, but how do they look at two and three in doubles? They answered that question here. And you were looking for Redelic, Campania, and Conway all to improve outdoors. And I think you mentioned it. Campania to go 2-0, and get some good wins. That win over Okatoy is a great win for her because if those top three are playing like they are right now, 
they could go 3-0 against any team and they really just need one or maybe two other pieces to click. And they're starting to click. So it's a great weekend for Pepperdine. This team feels like a two and a half, almost three point team right now. And what I mean by that is they're winning two of the top three spots. So that's two. And then one of the third top three spot and the number one doubles position of Brodus and Chen, who in my mind continue to be the best team week in, week out we have in women's college tennis. Like, they're almost there to, again, it's two yeah. and a half, three-ish points. Campana is starting to look like another half a point you can throw on the board. Redelick, I think, is always another half point you throw on the board. You can't have a spot that's attackable. And right now, Jasmine Conway is attackable because there's just too much depth. Everyone's very good. And by the way, you're eventually going to have to beat Oklahoma State at Oklahoma State. And they're very good at the number six spot. But this Pepperdine team's coming along. It was a very good weekend for each of them. You know, again, for Florida, tough loss. Once again, Lopez, Rovinska continued uh, to look solid at the five and six spot. They each get wins against Pepperdine. The Auburn match was pretty competitive uh, as well. Again, I think that speaks... I guess what I'm saying is I learned... Yeah, I guess there are a lot of straight set fixtures. You know what? What I'm saying is this told me more about Pepperdine than the other two teams. But you sent out the sarcastic tweet that deserves some recognition. SEC is back. That was obviously a reference making fun of us and us talking about that. And right now they don't have a top eight team. They don't have a top 10 team. Yeah, but who cares about 10 versus? It's all about the top eight, as we've learned. I'm trying to change the lexicon, Jay. 10 is out, eight is in. Um, Yeah, I mean, again, like chance to go on the road get a big win they miss it but the sec they're going to beat each other up in conference play that's what i continue to learn yeah but before when they beat each other up there are top eight wins we'll say i mean i would say top 10 wins but they don't have those right now so like you can only get so high when auburn's like what six and five or something crazy like that yeah but at least they're still ranked top 15 no i think florida's three and four yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so it, I don't know. I'm very curious to see what happens with the SEC as these teams will. They will beat each other up. We're going to have like a five way tie for number one, probably in the SEC this year. And I just don't know how high they're going to get because there are not a lot of teams right now that have really good ranked wins. Yeah, I just think I mean, again, I think the quality of team is really high. I think if you are, if they're not all top 16 teams and you get one of like a Florida and Auburn and A&M lingering in your region, that that's a really tough out in the NCAA tournament outdoors. Those are all high quality teams, but you're right. None of them have picked up signature victories through the first two months of the season. We were really pro SEC to start, even Georgia, like 4-3 against Ohio State. They'd get knocked out. I guess they did bounce back in the consolation, but yeah, but they beat Florida, so that's they, what, they, that's they didn't what, get to. Who was their the other love. one? They got a second win as well. I'm blanking on who it was against. Auburn. Uh, oh yeah, they beat right? Florida and Auburn. Yeah, I think you're right. So that's tough. That's tough luck for the conference. Yeah, they. Oh they, no, it was a it was a and M because Vidmanova. Oh, but you're right. Playing. But it was, it was yeah. But it was SEC. still. That, that really sucks. Like, it really does for this conference. You're right. All of their big wins in this month, they were all, or first two months have been all interconference. And so they do not get other points to dip into. Now, the good news is they got, a, you know, Alabama's like 13 right now. So there's still a lot of top 30, 35 teams for quality wins to be racked up amongst. But yeah, unless you run the table or come damn near close to it, it is going to be harder to get back to the top eight conversation now from the SEC. Maybe not the SEC number one, but that SEC number two 
becomes a lot harder to envision two SEC teams given their lack of signature victories. You're absolutely right. Now, you wouldn't be saying that if it was next year and Oklahoma was in the conference after the weekend the Sooners have. And that's the other team I want to talk about back on track after this past weekend. Talk about a team, by the way, that finally gets a break to go their way. 4-3 win over San Diego. 4-2 win over NC State. Team takes the doubles point uh, in each of their matches this weekend. NC State struggle against the doubles point uh, in the doubles point, something we'll talk about in a little bit. But, you know, again, for the Sooners to do it without Florencia Ruscia, for them to do it without Alina Shishurbina. Talk about massive victories for, you know, Donna Guzman to have a really good weekend, 0-0 win against San Diego to go unfinished, but win that second set against Rejecki, just stay alive there. Magic finally breaking back in the direction of Emma Staker, who goes 2-0 on the weekend at 6. Julia Garcia Ruiz, a massive weekend for the sophomore at 2 as she goes 2-0. I mean, look, again, like the Chloe Noel win for the freshman at four was massive. But to me, it's it's doubles. You know, again, Guzman's always going to be in the fight. But if Staker's now a real point again at six, this Oklahoma team's absolutely back in the top 16 conversation. You could argue they never left it. They had to have these wins, Jay. They get them your reaction. Yeah, I think we're burying the lead here. This, to me, is the story of the weekend. This is an Oklahoma team that was outside the top 50 coming into this weekend. That's crazy. And they face two top 12 teams. They are without their number one and number two players. And they come away 2-0. And back in the top 20. So this was a Herculean performance from Oklahoma. It helps that maybe Oklahoma is almost the new NC State in doubles. Because we saw what they did with Guzman and Scherzer-Bina this past fall. Like they've been Can finding- I give you a change in the comp? Not to cut you off, but I like the theme. They're not the new NC State. This might be close to home, so don't laugh at me. They're the new Michigan men. And what I mean by that is the totality of their energy to start every doubles point, like an Adam Steinberg coach team, like it just overwhelms you. Like they just are always prepared. They're energized. They're loose. They come out swinging in a way you have to in the rat race that is the doubles point. And so that's the cross division one men's women's comparison I would make is that when I watch them play, that's what always stands out to me. Yes, the execution is so sound, much like those Michigan teams were, but that energy component is what takes them over the top. You mean past Michigan teams, right? Yeah, I said Steinberg's Michigan team. <laughs> yeah, so like past, okay, not this year's Michigan not team. This year's team has some issues with the Devil's Point, but okay. that's All a right. story for a different podcast. Okay. Uh, sure, well, you can go with that comp. <laughs> uh, regardless, though, impressive for Oklahoma to get the Devil's Point and just to find find wins that you didn't think they were going to find them. I mean, they had no business winning these matches without their one and two. Everyone has to move up. Chloe Noel has been on campus for all of six weeks. Uh, It's super, super impressive. It is, it feels like they, obviously they lost the heartbreaker to Cal at kickoff weekend. seems like they did some very deep reflection on what it takes to be good and be back in the conversation that they want to be in. And they absolutely delivered. Yeah, I mean, again, that it was a similar recipe, doubles, two, six, one more. It's really something to build off of for this Sooners team that, again, you talked about they're outside the top 50. They're up to 15 now in the ITA rankings, and they still got the big dates ahead. Texas, Oklahoma State, uh, 
we'll be locked in, obviously, to those matchups when they happen. I'm pretty sure Texas is coming up this weekend, Jay, uh, for Oklahoma, if my week ahead schedule is correct. And, yeah, you're locked in for that one now. In a way, you should always be when those two schools, particularly under these two head coaches in this era, go head-to-head. But now you're, you have a reason to get excited about that match. It's a tough loss for San Diego. I'm still not, like, Again, they're another team that even in a loss like that, 4-3, where they lose in a third-set thriller, Mach, you know, Mia Mack losing at uh, on the road to Julia Garcia-Ruiz, they're good. They're top 16 good. Like They're in the conversation, and they weren't before the season, and they still are even after a loss like this. So them I don't have any concern about. You know, NC State, I think there's I, – I, I guess are you hitting the panic button, Jay? I'll ask it here. Since I didn't ask it about the Tar Heels, NC State not only losing this match, no Shishurbina, no Arusha, still knocked out 4-2 by Oklahoma. They also drop a 4-1 match to Michigan on the road in Ann Arbor. And, I mean, again, indoor-outdoor tennis, because I believe that Oklahoma match was played outside. That transition was always going to be a tough thing for the Wolf Pack to have to make. But the way that, you know, again... The way they lost that Michigan match, Charney 0-2 over Zimpardo, Jones 3-3 over Dittman. In the Oklahoma match, you know, at the number, what, it was the two spot where Garcia Ruiz 3-2 over Renshelly. Now, everywhere else they were pretty competitive, but the thing I've left out, obviously, they dropped two more doubles points. Like, that is just something we have not seen over the last half decade from these Wolfpack are you hitting a panic button? Are you still feeling pretty good? Again, this team made the national indoor semifinals. They have a win over UNC already. Would have really liked to pick up another victory that you know would be on their rankings resume come NCAAs this weekend. They don't. Where are you with the Wolfpack? Yeah, I mean, the difference in hit the panic button for a North Carolina versus NC State is just the expectations you had coming into the season, where this NC State team, I think, overperformed in indoors by beating North Carolina. We didn't see that coming. So it's a disappointing weekend for them. Certainly, I thought they could have been more competitive against Michigan. And to lose against an Oklahoma team without its top two is not a good loss for this NC State team. But they do have new pieces that they're working into that lineup. But I think the disappointing part is their seniors not delivering. Their seniors delivered that indoors and that win over over North Carolina, you know, for Sophie Abrams to lose that match against Chloe Noel, for Renchelli to be, I think, first off the court. Not a good performance from their seniors. It's tough to hit the panic button because I feel like we're just calibrating on what the ceiling for this NC State team can be. And I'm not sure it's that high. That's interesting. I would note the lineup changes they made. Rejecki, Zampardo are up to the number one double spot. That's a swap with them and Abrams and uh, Zeranova. I do wonder if a Renchelli Zeranova swap in the lineup is coming. Zeranova 1 0 1. She beats uh, Oklahoma's. I'm blanking on who she played. I think Contanzerite. Contanzerite uh, Unfinished yeah. with Mesaharito. I imagine you knew it was never going to finish at, uh, at that three spot. I wonder if she goes up to the two spot and you explore Renchelli at three. I also noticed, again, number six spot. One of the days they play Gabriella Broadfoot, the other day they played Gina Dittman. I wonder again the more if that is a spot they will continue to play with throughout the course of this season as well. But like Zimpardo goes one and one on the road trip. She's a freshman. Like 
that's about what you'd expect from them against this sort of competition on a road trip like this. Rejecki, we talk about it being a tough weekend. She went unfinished in each of her matches. She had opportunities to close out each of her matches in straight sets. Now that she wasn't able to do it, near-term concerning. Big picture, I still think we both walk away from this weekend thinking she's the best player in the country. I'm still a believer in this team because I saw them at indoors. I saw that ceiling in the UNC match. And you win a match like that early in the season. I don't care if you have a weekend like this. It's a post-indoors hangover. They have conference play ahead. I'm still a believer in this NC State team, I guess, coming out of the weekend. And I'd like to think my spot of where I put them in my rankings reflects that fact. And we'll talk about those rankings a little later. But final spot uh, thoughts on this belong to you. Well, I just want to say, I mean, they had moved their way up to, you know, top four position in the rankings. And to me, it's more like, okay, maybe where we were right, that it's more of a, you know, around seven, eight uh, type positioning for them. And so we'll have to see. Certainly conference play will be interesting. Uh, But look, the pieces are there. Uh, they just don't seem to all be firing on the same day right now. But that to me is why I'm not concerned and why I like their ceiling is because you said it, the pieces are there. They just haven't had the day where all seven, you know, all seven points click. And maybe they did have that day against UNC and it's only I think that's the one once. day they had, yeah. Yeah, but that's it. And so I'm still a believer in, in Simon, in David, in that staff and team finding their rhythm. Not saying you're not, by the way, but just, again, certainly a Thank tough you. weekend for them. On the other side of things... Not only, you know, again, Oklahoma gets the win over NC State. Michigan gets a second win over the Wolfpack as well. They dive their tentacles deeper uh, into that ACC pool of ranked potential victories. And, you know, for the Wolverines, the big note was the lineup change. Fliegner uh, still at two, but Mesoharito up to that number three spot. Brown at four. You know, again, they go Charney five, Elite Jones six. They continue to play around with the doubles lineup. They put Fliegner... Jones back in there uh, at that number two spot, keeping Miller, Charney together at three, Brown, Miller together at one. I should point out, by the way, I was wrong. NC State took the doubles point against Michigan. Apologies from me uh, about that, but that speaks to Michigan. They get wins at three, four, five, and six. Like, that's a, a to beat a top 10 team at three, four, five, and six and find four singles victories after dropping a doubles point at home, coming off of a really disappointing USC loss. That's a top team showing you something, Jay. That's a really good win for the Wolverines. Yeah, this Michigan team has been impressive every day this season. Yeah, I uh, USC was the one day they weren't. Yeah, and they don't the, like this. Isn't this is a deep six deep team? This is not a seven eight nine deep team. So if you're going to take out Jaden Brown from doubles and singles, like that's going to be tough for them. Six and a half, Reese Miller doubles rule. You can't. They like she. Her and Piper have been good at three. They're a real team at three, but yeah. like they didn't even roll her out at six when they took Jaden Brown out. Bailey sure. Shining got the call. And so, um, Still yeah, no I don't Anna really Ross singles play either. I mean, that was the bet we took <laughs> early in the season. Right? I mean, was not, we're never getting that. Uh, I love this Michigan team fight. I think that like every single player on this team, you know, you are going to get their best effort. And that is not something that up and down every single one of these other lineups, you can say. And that is a huge testament to the culture that that team has. You know, you are going to get their best effort. And for them to sweep three through six against NC State, they can find points against any any single team in the country. And I just 
it's a fun Michigan team to watch. Yeah, again, really good result for the Wolverines. 4-1 over NC State, 4-0 over a Columbia team that's top 50 right now as well. Good bounce back after the USC loss, and I think they're getting ready for their spring break trip as well. So we'll see how the Wolverines fare. Other Big Ten result to discuss, Ohio State knocked off by Arizona State 4-1. Now, again, this was a match uh, in Tempe outdoors, so obviously Buckeyes still making that transition there. It was also a very competitive match. Like, yes, Arizona State wins it. They take the doubles point, wins at the 2-3 and three spot. They get straight set wins at 3-4 and 5—3-4 uh, and 6, excuse me, but— Five and six at the number six spot, you know, four and four at three, one and four at that, uh, one and five, excuse me, at that four spot. What I'm saying is Ohio State didn't get rolled anywhere. Still, it's a really good win for Arizona State. I think on the Ohio State side of the equation, like again, the freshman on the day, 0-2 and one, and for what it's worth, Perry was up 5-4 in the third. Her match just goes unfinished. Freshman on the road outdoors, making that transition. Like, that's going to be tough for any of them to make. I'm not writing off this loss or making excuses. Again, that's a really good win for Arizona State. I don't have to ask you the panic button question, though, I think, after this as it relates to the Bucks, No, but death tax, death taxes in Ohio State turning into a pumpkin outdoors for sure. I mean, this is, these two teams played indoors in Columbus for and Arizona State. Off, I, I don't remember. even – well, I don't think – I think it was between kickoff and indoors, but I don't even think – Arizona State took a set in that match. And so you go outdoors and it doesn't matter how close the match is, like just the 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 whiplash of indoors versus outdoors. This is why it's so tough to get excited about those Ohio State results in January and February, because by the time you come April, those are the only real results they have on their resume. And so it's tough to get super excited about it. Um, because then they go and do something like this. I'll say it's definitely a concerning loss. Tough to make that transition outdoors. I want to see this team as it continues to progress through the season. I mean, it's hard to play the same team twice in a month span as well. Now, again, there's a lot of convenient excuses to make. Ultimately, the Buckeyes have to get better outdoors. You're right. You do wonder people as aggressive, like as a shop, as how does our game translate outdoors right away? I think Luciana Perry's just damn good. Um, and, you know, again, she was up 5-4 in the third. Her match goes unfinished. Contos up 3-2 in the third. Her match goes unfinished. The most surprising result of that one was the Ratliff 4-4 loss. I didn't see that coming at the number three spot. It's a good win for Arizona State. One of a couple. Again, it's a good weekend for the Pac-12 overall. I know Oregon gets wins over Iowa State. Iowa, Utah wins over Memphis, Minnesota. Hell, Arizona wins over Yale, Tulsa. Like, there were a bunch of different opportunities for the and the Stanford win over Texas, obviously, as well. For the Pac-12 to make moves, they did this weekend. Arizona State, certainly a notable 4-1 win. Are they in the top 16 discussion ever or no, Jay? Ever? Or, like, right now? Like, would you be willing to flirt with it or no? I think there's some points to get. Uh, You know, and they flirted with this the end of last season. And this is a better position for, particularly if they can get a win or maybe two wins over a Cal, over a USC, over UCLA. Like they weren't fully healthy in that Ohio State match in Columbus. They're starting to get more healthy now. So yeah, there's a pathway. There are points to be had. We were all in on the SEC. 
Pac-12 is pretty solid in its final year of existence. Like It's much better than I thought it would be to start the season. USC, UCLA, obviously Stanford, uh, Arizona State, Arizona, all these different teams. Cal, like really solid uh, squads uh, to round out what is obviously historically such a successful conference. Jay, a lot of other results throughout the course of the weekend. None we're going to break down with the depth we already have, but I do want to rapid fire through a few, get your feedback. First weekend of ACC play in the books. Big weekend for Georgia Tech. Two much-needed wins. Wins 5-2 over Boston College, 4-3 over Syracuse. BC, big 4-3 win over Clemson, who had a tough weekend. They also dropped one 4-3 to Syracuse. UVA rolled. Notre Dame, a 5-2 win over Virginia Tech. Wake, 4-1 win over Illinois. Signs of life for the Deacons here in 2024. Any particular thoughts on that ACC slate? Not really. I think that non-conference match for Wake against Illinois, that was probably the most interesting result and probably the most impressive of those uh, of those matches. I am curious just to see what Clemson can do and how much improved they can get by the end of the season. You give Boomer a full season there as head coach, see what he can do. But yeah, I thought that Wake win over Illinois. Illinois had looked pretty good to start the season, so that was probably the best win. And back in the theme of needed them, Georgia Tech needed them. They got them. So shout out to the Yellow Jackets uh, starting to bounce back here at the start of conference play. All right. Now we got a lot of rapid firing to do. I mentioned the Pac-12 results already. Arizona, Utah, Oregon, 2-0 on the weekend. Cal, 6-1 win over UCSB. Washington, 4-0 win over San Diego State. Anything particular stand out to you? The Oregon wins 4-3 over Iowa State, Iowa. That was the big one that got my eye. And what about that caught your eye? Was just a fa- when was the last time Oregon was in the mix? Like, they're going to be a top 65 team. All these points matter in the end. I'm just saying that there's no cellar dwellers. Matters in the end for a conference. Fine, Jay. We'll move on to the next one. That's fine. Did Iowa State have six players in that match? Here we go. A&M, 4-0 over Baylor. South Carolina wins over Charlotte. Charleston Southern. Uh, Charlotte also beats Charleston Southern 4-1. Ole Miss gets a 5-2 win over Tulane. Arkansas, 4-2 over Northwestern. 4-1 over Kansas. Good weekend for the Razorbacks. The big winner, of course, in the SEC, though, Alabama. Winners of the Blue-Gray Classic. Wins over Texas Tech, Illinois, Arizona. Jay, thoughts on the SEC slate? Well, you mentioned this earlier, but Alabama becoming 13 in the country. I don't think I've of- ever seen that in, in quite some time. Not in the Gruskin era, but it would have been yeah. back in the Aaron Root, the uh, Rutliff era, Rutliff and the Maya era. Jensen, yeah, or yeah, Jensen, exactly. Yeah. Um, so no, it's good to see them back. It's helpful for the SEC, uh, and that's always a fun tournament. There's always some fun results that happen there in the blue gray. So that's a big, big coup for the SEC. Yeah, big again. They need all the top twenty-five teams they can get. In Alabama certainly in the mix there. Big 12 side, Oklahoma State, 7-0 winners over Princeton. Baylor, 4-2 win over Denver, and then they survive a heart attack against Grand Canyon. Ultimately, a 4-3 win there for the Bears. Texas Tech wins over Wake Forest. Furman this weekend as well. Any Big 12 thoughts, Jay? No, but that Grand Canyon team is good. They beat Arkansas. Feisty. That's a good win for Baylor. Um, Obviously, we talked about Texas, Oklahoma already. The others... Columbia beats Michigan State 4-2. Northwestern beats Kansas 4-1. Illinois gets Tulsa. FIU over SMU. 
SMU over Denver, Yale over Furman, Rice over UTSA, Memphis over Minnesota, Tulane over Mississippi State. Why do I mention them? Because come NCAA selection time, those are the matches that will matter. And when one team gets in, you'll say, oh, yeah, I remember week seven recap. Rice beat UTSA for love. That was a big foundational piece for why they got into the NCAA tournament. Jay, any final thoughts on week seven's results? No. All right. Well, then with that in mind, with week seven in the books, let's get back to something we haven't done in far too long, Jay. Let's offer our rankings on where things stand after week number seven. The lists have been compiled. The voters have turned in their ballots. We've got the official Cracked Rackets top 10. You want to guess them, Jay, or you want me to read you through? No, read them through. All right. Let's go through your response through to each of them. Coming in at number 10, USC. Okay. Just over Ohio State, Oklahoma, for what it's worth. Trojans hold Wow, that Oklahoma. Spot. Yeah, outside the top 10. Yeah, but just outside the top 10. Number nine, Georgia. Okay, respectable. I, I, they don't have the strongest resume, but it's funny. I, I was kind of looking at NC State's resume, and they've beaten Tennessee, and they've beaten UNC. But like that's and they beat Washington, but like that's really it. Like outside of you know, again, Georgia is one of those teams as well. They're like five and three overall this year. They bounced back with wins over Florida A and M at the indoors, but like that's really their resume right now. Georgia nine, Pepperdine now eight after their big weekend. No problems with that. I could go Pepperdine higher after that, but yeah, I don't disagree with you. NC State seven right now in our rankings after their weekend. Yeah, like, come on. I would put Pepperdine over NC State after that weekend. Fair enough. UNC 6 right now in the rankings. Sure. All right. Now we enter the top five. UVA at number five. Yeah, the UVA one is tough because they beat North Carolina and they got the good win over Pepperdine. The resume is strong and it's hard to put UNC above them right now. Two top 10 wins and they have two losses, both to Michigan. That's a good resume. Just yeah. no if, answer, buts about it. Number four, Texas. Number four, despite the loss to Stanford. I'm fine with it. They've got a. I know, you know, again, they lost an early match without enough players to UCLA. The resume looks really good after that, Jay. Yeah, I think that's the big thing right now is none of our voters are holding that UCLA loss over them, but the rankings, the ITA rankings are. Certainly. Number three on our list. Drum roll, please. By the way, Texas, just a one-point lead over UVA, just a four-point lead over UNC. Number three, Stanford, the Cardinal, after their win over Texas, holding that number three spot. Number two, of course, are the Michigan Wolverines. Number one, Oklahoma State, unanimous pick by all of our voters. Jay, does anything about that top ten surprise you? No, it doesn't. I'm curious how many people had Stanford at two, if any. It's a good question. I can let you know there were two people— Two people who had Stanford at the number two spot. Yeah, we didn't reveal our rankings last week. We didn't have those published. I had bumped Stanford up to number two after that Michigan loss to USC. Moved them back down after this week. Uh, the win over NC State, despite Stanford's win over Texas, I felt like that Michigan team had earned the benefit of the doubt after regrouping from that USC loss. Again, that's another example of where Stanford gets the nod at number two in the ITA rankings because the IT rank, ITA rankings don't discriminate. They're going to hold that loss to USC over Michigan for the duration of the season. Fair. And now it's not a bad loss because USC's got some good results right now as well. But I look at the resume of wins, which is what I base off of much more uh, so and 
you know, again, Michigan's beaten Virginia twice. They've beaten NC State twice. They've beaten Cal. They've beaten Oklahoma win that obviously aged well this weekend. Like, they just have more top 16 wins than anyone not named Oklahoma State. And so, yeah, they have three losses. Two are to number one Oklahoma State. Not going to knock them for that. The USC match was a hangover, but obviously they've now bounced back. Do you want to hear the others receiving votes? I'm not going to tell you what order they're in, but others receiving top fifteen, uh, top ten votes, and for uh, excuse me, votes, and for what it's worth, our voters submit our top fifteens. So just so you know, others in that top 15, 16 mix right now, receiving votes: Tennessee, South Carolina, Auburn, San Diego, Texas A&M, Cal, Oklahoma, Ohio State. Got any problems there, Jay? South Carolina is interesting. South Carolina, and what was the one after South Carolina you read? They're Tennessee or Auburn? Tennessee. So South Carolina and Tennessee are the teams I don't have in my 15, so those are the ones that stick out for me. South Carolina's got one loss this year. Now, they're 8-1. and one. They don't have the best wins in terms of resume builders. They beat Arizona. That looks good in the rankings right now. Georgia Tech, Clemson, Wake, UNC, Charlotte, Charles. Like, they have a bunch of solid wins. Yeah, no we'll learn a lot wins. about yeah. them this weekend. Again, right now, the SEC, you mentioned they don't have the, the premier ranking, but listen to this. 11's Georgia, 12's Auburn, 13 Alabama, 14 South Carolina, 19 Florida, 20 Tennessee, 21 Texas A&M. So they've got seven teams in the top 21. You want to add in Vanderbilt at 27. You can say they've got eight top 30 teams like, there's still a lot of points there, Jay. The SEC is back. It's just not back. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see, depending on how those points get distributed, who gets wins over who, like how much rising tides can lift all SEC boats. Yeah, and right now, by the way, the ITA top 10, Oklahoma State 1, Stanford 2, Michigan 3, so flip-flopped in our rankings. UNC 4, Virginia 5, flip-flopped in our rankings. Texas 6, they're up at 4 in our rankings. Pepperdine 7, they're 8 in our rankings. USC 8, they're 10 in our rankings. Ohio State right now number 9, not ranked by us in the top 10. NC State's 10, and again, Georgia is the only team missing from ours. They're at number 11 Alabama at 13, eye-popping. South Carolina 14 was certainly eye-popping. As I look at the other ITA rankings right now, Jay, I mean, was there anything else eye-popping? USCLA 36, that's a little low. I don't know. Everything else feels about right in the computer rankings right now, Jay. Again, we have some changes flip-flopping, but directionally everything feels pretty accurate. Yeah, I actually felt that way when we even got the first iteration of the computer rankings on the women's yeah. side. Like, it actually wasn't as like jarring as typically it can be. It was more so on the men's side for sure this year, but on the women's side, I feel like at least all the teams are in directionally the right spots. Yeah, I agree with you. And so again, those are our cracked rackets rankings. That's your look at the ITA rankings. Let's now look to wrap up this show, Jay. At the week ahead. I had to do a little contorting to find some Tier 1 matchups this weekend. We have a lot of good tennis. I don't know if we have any great, great matches on the horizon. Uh, Oklahoma at Texas had to be put in this tier. It's a rivalry. Obviously, last for these two in the Big 12. Oklahoma, after the weekend they had, makes this that much more interesting as well. A history between these two teams, obviously, that ties into this. That's matchup number one in Tier 1. I ended up settling on four Tier 1 matches. Rivalry, 
fascination and where they end up. I put USC at UCLA in the tier one category as well. And then here was the fascinating one to me that sneaks in. South Carolina and Florida, both traveling to Texas A&M. Those are my tier oneers, Jay. You like those four? And what are your thoughts? Well, someone very smart on this podcast, and I don't think it was me actually, had circled those matches for Texas A&M in our preseason Was podcast. it me? I think it was you. Let's go. Because you said like. Sounds like something so- I'd say. South Carolina and Florida like couldn't be more different teams yeah. in how top heavy South Carolina is and just how like distributed Florida team is. And so if you want to learn a lot about Texas A&M and how they can win, here you go. Back to back, two very different teams. So I think it's a very fascinating weekend. Yeah. You want to give me predictions? Oklahoma at Texas? Oh. Mm, Texas. USC at UCLA? Ugh, that just screams UCLA upset, doesn't it? It's going to be 4 3. Yeah, it's at UCLA. It's gonna be really exactly. Good. Yeah, South. So who are you taking? Bruins. I go. I'll go UCLA in that one. Yeah. Fair enough. South Carolina, Florida at A and M. What's A and M's record? This is where I, I have to believe in that team. They have to go two and zero. I think they definitely beat South Carolina. Yeah. I think the problem for them against Florida is they might be giving up at five and six, and they just lost doubles to. I mean, they're losing doubles to everyone right now. So they go down a 3-0 hole. But Florida has given me no, no reason to believe they will win that match. So I, I lean Texas A&M 2-0. Fair enough. All right. My Tier 2 matches, and I have a bunch of Tier 3 I'm not even going to mention. But Tier 2, I had UVA at Georgia Tech Clemson. Just how good are the Hoos? If they roll through that weekend again, maybe it is time to put them in that inner circle. Vandy at Alabama-Auburn. How good is this Alabama team? How good is Vandy? Let's find out. Washington at Ohio State, intriguing to me. And that Notre Dame at NC State. I just had the Wolfpack bounce back. Those are my tier two matches, Jay. Any final thoughts on those? Any other matches I might have missed that are on your radar? I like that SEC trio. It's like the tier two, literally, of the Florida, Texas A&M, South Carolina, because I do think we'll learn a lot about the, that trio of Vandy and the Alabama schools. But it's it's interesting. I do like how this season, it feels like la- this past weekend for the women, it was jam-packed. A little quieter this weekend, and then the men's are was reverse. Men's weekend last weekend, a little quieter. This coming week, very busy on the men. So it's helpful for those of us that are trying to keep tabs of it all. Yeah, well said by you. And, of course, we will be back tomorrow on this show to break down all the recent men's action. Also worth noting one more time, our coverage starts in spades here this weekend as we begin our ESPN Plus coverage of ACC, SEC, and Big 12 conference play Friday, Sunday. All of those conferences available on ESPN+. Plus. Look for start times, what matches we will be featuring in graphics on our Cracked Racket social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Of course, we will also have Big Ten Sundays. And then on Wednesday, we'll have Baylor at uh, taking on number one Ohio State at home in Waco, 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN+. Plus. John J. Parsons, with that said, that's our look at week number seven. Any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? Well, I said it last year, so I'll say it again this year. We need the graphics. I need to know, like, I need Friday. What conference can I watch? Where can I watch it? Saturday. Like, I need that breakdown. Put it on socials. 
people need to know where they can watch. Why we're not on YouTube is because Westhoff's at max capacity making graphics exactly like that. So be on the lookout for them on social media. We'll have all of that available to all of you. And by the way, a shout out to our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who has a a editing job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible. With that said, that will do it for our week seven recap of the 2024 Division One women's college tennis season for the fantastic John J. Parsons, who, by the way, you can hear every week over on the No Ad No Problem podcast as well for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.